Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. I want to take a moment, and I want to take you on a little adventure. If you can imagine right now, we're lost in the woods somewhere, and it's getting dark. You and I need to find shelter. We need to find it quickly. But the only place around is a big, dark cave. And like that one character in that super scary movie, they just have to open the door to that creepy basement. They just have to go in. So do you and I. So we head into this deep, dark cave. And guess what? Ooh, it's dark in here. Hey, grab a buddy. Everybody okay? Don't move around too much. Here, let me get a light on here. See if I can get a light on. Oh, okay. Can everybody see me? Oh, what's that sound? Listen closely. Anything else in this cave? Undoubtedly, I mean, there's probably spiders in here. We know that. There's definitely snakes in here. Lots of snakes in here. Maybe some bats. Who knows what other creatures are in here, but watch your step though. Wherever you go, watch your step. You don't know what you're gonna step on. In fact, let, let's get out of here. You wanna get out of here? Let's get out of here. Now, for some of you, that was, a, that was an adventure. You love an adventure. For others of you, that sounds more like a nightmare. It really depends on your relationship with uncertainty because that cave represents a place of uncertainty. We don't know what's there. We don't know what's lurking. That's how we can feel about a new year. As we pay, turn the page into 2024, there's a part of us that feels that, that everything's filled with possibility. There's another part of us that sees all the uncertainty. And we relate to it depending on how we're wired. Now, here's the interesting thing about uncertainty. Some of you have a, see it as a bad thing because you want to know what's coming ahead. And you're kind of hardwired for that, for your own survival. And sometimes in the face of uncertainty, you allow fear and anxiety to push you into places where you don't have to exercise any amount of faith or any amount of trust. You seek safety and you seek comfort in those moments. Some of us have that relationship with uncertainty. But some of you, you kind of love uncertainty. Now, a particular type of uncertainty, though. Some of you, you really love those positive uncertainty, those expectant uncertainty. It's kind of like the seven-year-old girl who goes to bed on Christmas Eve, anticipating as she saw the gifts under the tree what tomorrow will bring. She's uncertain of what she's going to get, but she just knows something good's coming. So there, we kind of maybe all love that level of uncertainty. Some of you, you love the thrill rides at Wonderland. You love those scary movies. You love to go skydiving. Now, that's controlled uncertainty. Because in essence, even though it's jarring, even though things will surprise and pop out and maybe even scare you a little bit, you have a seatbelt on in life. So you're able to control the outcomes of what that situation might be. Here's the thing. We respond to uncertainty based on select past experiences that you and I have had. Now, why do I say select? Well, because we have a tendency to remember uh, the bad and forget the good, don't we? We have a tendency to focus on, on the pain, not the blessings. 
I think the uh, hymn writer knew this when he penned those famous words now, count your many blessings, name them one by one, count your many blessings, see what God has done. Why count? Because we forget addition and we remember the subtractions. We forget all the good things that have been added and we remember the things we've lost in life. The psalmist knew this. He said in Psalm 103, he said these words, oh my soul, bless God, don't forget a single blessing. And then he lists all these blessings that God does in your life. And then with big exclamation in verse six of Psalm 103, he says this, God makes everything come out right. Now, what's the psalmist doing here? Well, he's kind of taking out his flashlight and he's kind of shining it on the good blessings, the things that we'll miss in this life. And that's how you face uncertainty. You have to focus on things, uh, the blessings of God, the faithfulness of God, the things that have already happened that have been good so that you're able to face uncertainty with trust and faith. Because uncertainty has a way of pushing us away from some healthy practices. In the face of uncertainty, many of us uh, resist commitment. You know, every commitment's a decision, right? And every decision's a commitment, right? So I think sometimes in the face of uncertainty, some people fail or don't want to commit because what if something better comes along? A little FOMO that we can have. Or maybe what if we commit to this and it it's not good? And so instead of committing, we become less committing. But what if in the face of uncertainty, it's not less commitment we need, but more commitment? There's another practice we tend to move away from in moments of uncertainty, and that's giving. Often, when we feel we don't know what's coming ahead, we don't like to give, we rather gather. We'd rather collect things to ourselves instead of bless others with stuff. And that act of scarcity mindset comes from a place of uncertainty. Now, as we go into 2024, listening to your news feeds like I do, you know there is a lot of uncertainty. There's wars that are going on. There's inflation. There's economic fears. It's a big, dark cave of uncertainty that we're walking into in 2024. Well, we're not, there's a remedy though. There's a, there's a way that we can move into 2024 with some real confidence. And it, we're going to look back into one of the smaller books in the old part of the Bible, the Old Testament, the book of Habakkuk. And it's an interesting story. We're going to pick it up in chapter two. I'm going to read three verses to you. Chapter two, verses one, two, and, and, or one, three, and four. Let's read it together. It'll come up on the screen. I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says, and he will answer my complaint. The vision is for a future time. It describes the end, and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently. So it will surely take place, and it will not be delayed. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves. Their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by the faithfulness of God. Habakkuk helps prepare us for by reminding us that no matter what comes next, God's always at work. Let me give you a little context for what's going on. In the first chapter of Habakkuk, Habakkuk's a little upset. He's disturbed. Um, he has this great complaint towards God, and it goes like this. Why, God, looking at all the evil and suffering in this world, why would you allow this to happen? And in chapter 2, he's waiting for a response. He's looking for some assurances. He's looking for some certainties that kind of you and I want in life. He's looking for all these things to come about. He wants certainty about the future. In verses 1 to 4 of chapter 2, Habakkuk says that the key to navigating uncertainty with courage, with trust and faith, 
is to wait on God. Now, apparently, how we wait in the face of uncertainty determines what we find in times of uncertainty. Did you catch that? How we wait when we face uncertainty determines what we find in times of uncertainty. And Habakkuk has three behaviors that I want to encourage you to adopt as we head into 2024. The first is uh, wait expectantly. In verse 3, in verse 1, it talks about waiting on God with some measure of expectancy that surely things will come to pass that he said, and that he says that they will not be delayed. Now, the word he uses here for wait is just a little Hebrew word that means be patient. Don't despair, don't give up. That's a very interesting posture to take. Don't despair, don't give up, and be patient. Now, I never like that word patience because <laughs> it's probably not a primary gift of mine, but it's something I need to grow in. I know this when I'm feeling anxious, I'm even less patient. I want things resolved. I want to run from whatever it is that's causing me my anxiety. But the Bible says that patience actually flows and comes from humility. How so? Well, James, the half-brother of Jesus, he said this in the fourth chapter of his book. He said, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live or do, and do this or that. James is saying, listen, you have your plans, and some of you are uber planners. And in Scripture, it talks about planning and preparing. Those are all good things. But over time, often when we make our plans, we determine that this is the way things need to go. This is the way they should go. This is the way they will go. And James is reminding his readers, as he's reminding us today, that you don't know. Uh, you might say make all these plans, but you don't know actually how things are going to go. So he's saying, make your plans, but hold them in your hands and say, if the Lord wills it, if the Lord wills it. You see, when things go wrong and we respond with anger or fear or disappointment or anxiety or even worry, we often think it's a feeling that we can't help. We can't help but feel this. And James is helping us to see that actually those feelings come from a primary assumption and a wrong assumption at that. The assumption is that we know how things should go, that we know how it should go. And if it doesn't go that way, we're disappointed because it must be wrong. In 2024, what if we chose to hold all of our plans for this coming year loosely in our hands with this prayer, if it's the Lord's will? This is an act of humility. It's saying, God, we commit our plans to you. We lay them at your feet. We know, though, you have timing, you have designs, and you have a will, and we'll submit to that even as we make these plans. That's one way to begin to navigate the uncertainty of 2024. Wait wait expectantly. And the second one is keep perspective. Look what he says in verse one. He says, I'll climb up into my watchtower, and he says he's going to keep guard. Now, what's Habakkuk talking about here? Habakkuk is waiting on God. He stationed himself in the watchtower. And the question is, why did cities build watchtowers? Well, so they could see what was coming in the distance. I mean, if they're on the ground, uh, they, can, they have very limited perspective. They can only see so much. So as Habakkuk is waiting expectantly, he decides to keep perspective by climbing to the watchtower so he can see what's coming. You can see the weather that's coming from a watchtower in a city. You can see the enemy that may be coming. You can see everything that's coming. Like imagine you're in a walled city and you're in the watchtower 
and there's a great force coming against your city. If you're on the ground, you'd despair. You'd see this army coming out. You're going like, we don't have a hope. But from the watchtower, you see in the distance, there's reinforcements coming. And they're 20 times the size of the army that's come against you. All of a sudden, you'd feel great confidence from the perspective you gain from that. So what does it mean when Habakkuk says, spiritually, we're to climb into the watchtower? How do you spiritually climb into the watchtower and stay at your guard post? Well, what it really means is you must not simply look at your problems. That's to stay on the ground. When you climb into the watchtower, you're putting your problems in perspective, in the bigger perspective of what scripture teaches you. You're enlarging your vision in that moment. Let me give you an example. One of the most famous chapters Paul ever wrote was Romans chapter 8. And in verse 18, uh, I'm going to use the older King James version of this verse because I love the first word, reckon. It's a word I don't use often. He says, for I reckon. And that word reckon he used, the Greek word, actually means I add up, I calculate, I think it out, I work it out in detail. So what is he adding up? He says, For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, Paul has suffered a lot here. Paul has uh, suffered physically. His eyesight is, is going. He's been persecuted. He's been beaten. You know, if you've read the New Testament, you know Paul suffered a lot of things. And what he's saying is, I put them all in perspective. I do the math. I take all my problems and I climb into the tower to get perspective on them. And all of a sudden, when I climb up in the tower, they look pretty small compared to the future glory that's coming. And comparatively, I can handle this because there's a greater future glory coming. He's going into the tower. He's getting the bigger picture. You, know, you think about this, like practically speaking in our own lives. When you're sick, when you're sick, and of course, at ground level, uh, that's so discouraging and that's hard. And I would never minimize whatever you might be traversing in life. But as you climb the tower, you kind of pause on a larger scale and say, well, wait a minute. The only sickness that can truly kill me is sin. And I've been remedied from that sickness through Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. It's done. It's paid for. This isn't fun. This is not easy. This is difficult. But my greatest illness, it's already been taken care of. Or if you're in debt, let's talk money. You're in debt and you're struggling financially and, and you're struggling with giving in the midst of whatever is going on in your life. You can always sit there and go, listen, the only debt that could really truly sink me was sin. And it's been paid for in full. It's all paid for. There are true riches that exceed anything I could amass in this life coming towards me. So I can at least put it in the larger picture and that'll give me energy and strength to get through this moment and faith. So we wait expectantly and we keep perspective. And that's what Paul's doing. He's thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking about the greater glory yet to come. And until then, he can handle these sufferings because the sufferings are getting smaller as he gets that larger picture of the glory that's coming. He's gaining perspective. So wait expectantly, keep perspective, and then third, stay active. Look at verse one. We already read it. I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. Now, when you think about that, 
Uh, I'm probably not talking to too many people in the military, but you've probably seen enough movies or read enough history books. If you're a sentry guard, a guard on duty, you don't leave your guard post when you're feeling sick or you're bored or you're tired. You don't do that. You don't leave the post. You can't afford to. Why? Because the whole city could fall. Catastrophe could fall on everything. And this is what Habakkuk's way of saying and showing us that even though he's struggling with God, because he is in chapter one, he's struggling with God here, he will not leave his post. Listen, I'm not naive to think that at the end of 2023, I'm not talking to some people that might be a little weary, a little tired, some who maybe even wondered if God was even present in their life over this last year. You might be getting absolutely nothing out of your Christian experience right now. Maybe you feel a little more confused about spiritual things and life in general than you do uh, feel clarity around it. Some of you feel disappointment, and you have suffered disappointment after disappointment. Some of you might be saying, listen, Pastor Jonathan, I'm getting none of my prayers answered right now. I love to, I love older followers of Jesus, and I'm older than some of you uh, here, and I'm younger than some of you, and I've always looked to my older brothers and sisters in the faith to remind myself, do not leave your guard post. Do not leave your post. And what does that look like? Well, I talked to you about this idea of waiting, because that's kind of the whole idea. You're waiting on God. Just remember this, waiting is not a passive thing, because I think we could, you could think that means sitting on your hands, uh, but think of a waiter or a waitress. They're not sitting around. They're not waiting around. They're running around, serving others. They're staying active, even as they're waiting on God to come through, even as they're waiting on things to happen, they're actively serving. And you see, what happens often is, is God seems absence and evil times seem to be prevailing. And what happens to us is we stop coming to worship. We stop praying. We stop reading the Bible. We stop going to a community group. We stop serving other people. We stop giving. We tend to kind of leave the guard posts because we're not seeing activity that's encouraging us in this moment. And when you feel bad and you're not getting anything out of it, it's easy to do that. Yeah, I remember a particular season of my life where it just felt unfair, it felt dark, it felt prolonged. Like, when is this ever going to end? I remember just how hard it was to even pray. Because it felt like, what does it matter? I felt like my prayers were hitting the ceiling, just coming back down. Uh, reading the Bible felt like such a chore, like, because I'm not getting anything out of this God. And I remember a moment, just having a Spartan Up Jonathan moment in my own life, when I realized that, you know, it's not about figuring it all out right now. It's just about putting one foot in front of the other. Just keep moving. Stay active here. Keep finding people. Keep praying even if you don't feel like it. Keep reading something even if you don't feel like it and you're getting nothing out of it. Keep giving. Keep serving. And that's what Habakkuk is encouraging you. Stay active. So as we slip into 2024 with all of its uncertainty, what if we as a community waited expectantly? We're waiting on God expectantly. What if we kept perspective? We climbed into the tower and we, we magnified the glory yet to come over the present suffering. And what if we were able to, as a community, to stay active, to keep giving, keep showing up, keep praying, keep reading, keep doing things that'll keep you healthy. Now, how can you do all of this? I'm going to help you just in these last few minutes, put together a plan for 2024. 
I don't know if you have a plan already. You may already do it. We're going to hold it loosely in our hands if the Lord wills it. But how can you put a bit together a little bit of a plan for 2024? So some of you are really tenacity type people. I'm not. I have to trick myself and work myself around things to do things that are healthy and constructive often. And so I'm going to help you with some of the things I've learned. I learned this phrase about 10 years ago, and it really changed a lot of my approach to how I plan uh, a lot of things in my life. It's automate the important. <laughs> Can you say that after me? Automate the important. Sounds very simple. But the idea is this. Whatever is important in your life will, will feel sacrificial to you, but will be beneficial in the long run. The important will feel sacrificial in the moment, but be beneficial in the long run. That's how you know it's important. If it costs you nothing, it likely isn't important. If it costs you something, it likely is important. So if you can automate the important, here's the beautiful thing. It doesn't rely then just solely on your tenacity or your feelings. Often, I get motivated to do something because I'm under duress, or I get motivated to do something because all the stars aligned and I felt like going for a run, or I felt like doing this. And uh, if I'm relying on my tenacity, it's inconsistent. If I'm relying on my feelings, it's inconsistent. But important things really build in the aggregate. It's the consistency that builds health over time. So I'll give you a couple examples. Some things I do to help myself plan and automate the important. The first is uh, healthy habits. I have a little saying with healthy habits because I think there's a, there's a craft dinner loving guy inside of me. But if I'm going to develop healthy habits, I use this. I use gamification to create gratification. So I have an app on my phone. It's a habit tracker. It's a way of gamifying because I'm a little competitive in life and it helps me. And I have a bunch of habits that I check off every day that I try to do in the aggregate that will produce good results. Like some of them are listed here. Like I, I pray. Now, I don't lock in a necessarily a specific time or a specific way. I just want to make sure that I prayed sometime that day. I, I read scripture. That's not quantity. It's making sure that I've, I've connected with God's word sometime in the day. I take vitamins. You know, why do I have that in the track of habit? Because I'd forget it. I would forget it. Uh, I read a chapter of a book every day. I try to do that to intellectually challenge myself and, and grow my ideas based. Sometimes I, I, I exercise every day. I try to do something and I have a long list of exercises. At least if I do one of them on there, I can check that habit box. And uh, sometimes, and I don't do this as often as I should, but 16 hour fast per day is part of my rhythm. So like, I don't care what yours are, but I realize gamifying it helps build some gratification in me and keeps me on track automate the important. Uh, money matters is another thing that I automate. Uh, I use technology to create consistency. So my bills, are, as many as I can, are automatically paid coming out of my account. I set up for automation. My, my savings is automated. So it naturally puts something into a savings account. If I don't have to do it, I probably won't spend it. If I can't see it, I probably won't spend it. So it works better that way. My giving is all automated because it's really important for Shelly and I to be givers to this church that we love. So we automate our giving. See, whatever's important when you automate it, you, uh, in the aggregate, you're going to enjoy greater benefit. So let's get real practical. Maybe you're struggling spiritually. Well, pull out your calendar right now 
and create a recurring task for 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, 10 to 11.30 a.m., that you're going to be in church with your church family in 2024. So when someone says, listen, we want to do something at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday, you're like, whoa, I have a prior commitment. I've already prioritized things that are important, and I'm automating what is important. Like when you think of your faith habits and growing spiritually— this is why we have follow here at One Church TO. In fact, if you're online right now, we'll drop into the chat a little link to a video that Pastor Jessica did that explains what follow's about. But if you do the follow assessment, what's beautiful is you're automating some of your faith growth. Because throughout the year, you're going to get emails that'll give a ton of resources and readings and things you can do to grow deeper in your faith. You don't have to go looking for it. It comes looking for you. What a brilliant thing. Automate that because it's important. Another thing, as I mentioned earlier, uh, automate, consider automating your giving. I, in fact, I challenge you to do that, to automate your giving for the church that you love. Shelly and I did this uh, uh, a number of years ago, and what a game changer, Just not just for us, but we know how much strength it lent to the churches that we've been a part of, because all of a sudden, the automated giving is something they could depend on and build missionally into the future. Here's the interesting thing. Something like giving has some fringe benefits that we don't have to talk about. Like one of them is simply this, you're feeding a future glory every time you give to something eternal, like what the church is accomplishing together among eternal people made in God's image. You see, you're feeding a future glory. You know the old saying, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead of you. Jesus said this in the Gospel of Matthew, don't store up treasure on earth. Moths and rust will eat it all away and robbers will break in and steal it. In other words, easy come, easy go. No, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Moths, rust, don't eat away there, and no robbers break in and steal it. Show me your treasure, and I'll show you where your heart is. So you're feeding a future glory every time you give, and so Shelly and I thought, let's automate that. <laughs> and the second thing we're doing is we're resisting a present folly. You see, money is a very, it's a controlling force in our lives. And it has a way of mastering you with greed, materialism, even fear and scarcity. It'll begin to master you. Money will do anything it can do to get you to chase it. When you give, you're actively resisting the power of money in your life. And you're elevating the power of generosity in your life. And of course, that's a characteristic of the God that we follow. By automating your giving, you're helping the church that you love. So remember in 2024, if you've heard nothing else, let's take the example from Habakkuk. Wait expectantly. You can bring all your plans into 2024, and that's a good thing. But hold them in your hands with humility, if the Lord wills this. And then keep perspective. Keep climbing into that tower so you can think, think, think about the future glories yet to come. And it doesn't mean that all your problems will dissipate, but they won't dominate. When you do that, problems are put in their proper place. They can't control you. Instead, you are living for something larger than that. And then finally, stay active. See, in the aggregate, you're going to be so thankful at the end of 2024 that you developed and you automated these important things in your life because in the aggregate, it's going to make such a big difference in your life. I want to be on the edge of 2024 with my church family looking over our shoulder and we're saying the same thing. The Lord has been good to us. He's been with us. He walked with us and he provided for us. I already know he's going to do that in 2024. Let's walk into it with courage and faith. So let's pray. If you'd like to just kind of hold 
your year ahead in your hands. Just like, forget the year that was. That is done now. The year ahead, just hold it in your hands and let's pray into this coming year. Father, we just reaffirm today as a community and as individuals that we trust you. We lean on you. We lean on your purposes, your will, your timing. And God, we recognize that your ways are higher than ours. So God, we climb the tower even in this moment to get the vantage point of your truth. And God, help us to see things in 2024 through your lens, not through the lens of fear, but the lens of faith. God, help us to think, think, think about God, the glories that are yet to come and the glories that we presently even enjoy. God, I pray, Jesus, that we would be a community that would stay active. We'd be unignorably good in the city of Toronto. We'd be unignorably good in our, in our families. We'd be unignorably good in our workplaces. Help us to be the aroma, the salt and light of Jesus in this world. And God, we give you 2024. We're here to fit into your plans. We commit now our lives to you, our church to you, and this coming year to you. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing, both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.